I do want to ask, kind of in a time when a lot of folks are abandoning social media for one reason or another, it seems like you have stayed, and not just stayed, but have stayed fairly active. Let me ask, why stay on social media? Well, that's a good question. I I have moments when I think I'm done with this and I'm going to move on. Um, and those come fairly regularly, actually. And as, as um, many, I think, probably feel similarly during particular moments of national convulsion, <laughs> whether I, it's elections I, or Before whatever. recording, yeah, I mentioned um, it. About every two years, I think. Man, yeah. I'm ready to bail. Yeah. And, and then, you know, when you have moments of... Um, national attention on something uh, that you get people on such polarized in polarizing ways um, angry with each other and commenting and with anger yeah those are moments when I want to leave but I stay and I stay for for several reasons I imagine uh, one is I have a community mm-hmm. there's a community that I have on Facebook um, I've built relationships with people people I've never met even uh, through that venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I, I think that if we all leave, uh, then what's left is, is to, is, might be potentially all negativity and p- total polarization. Mm-hmm. So I stay in hopes to be somewhat of a mediator uh, to fulfill kind of a redemptive role. So what I, I, I post something every morning, for example, a quote from some dead Christian. <laughs> I don't quote living people. I quote dead ones because uh, uh, I don't want to get in, get into arguments about the, you know, the living people. So, uh, but with the wisdom of the past and my function, uh, if you watch those closely, I think you can see, I'm actually commenting on the social okay. situation, mm-hmm. but I'm doing it through past uh, wisdom and the wisdom is indirect that is it's not directly addressing whatever the question is but the wisdom applies to to a lot of the social conversations that are going on and so i i want to be a a moment of good a moment of uh reconciliation uh with my facebook presence and and so i think those basically the two reasons community and at least the role that i think i have Um, or want to have in terms of reminding people of the wisdom of a particular kind of path, a path of peace and kindness and welcoming and hospitality. And that path uh, has uh, the potential for transformation. Hey everyone, welcome to Faith in the Folds, a podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today I sat down with John Mark Hicks, professor of theology at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee. I first encountered John Mark almost 20 years ago through his books, specifically his Come to the Table, Revisioning the Lord's Supper, published in 2002 by New Leaf Press. I was in high school at the time and had no idea I would later be required to read more of his works for graduate classes about 10 years afterwards. John Mark is a deep thinker, an excellent communicator, and a wonderful dialogue partner on social media, which brings us to our topic for today. A few weeks ago, John Mark shared on his personal Facebook page 
12 Guidelines for Positive Social Media Interactions. What caught my attention was not just the wisdom of these guidelines, but also the fact that I've seen John Mark follow each of these with the various people who agree and disagree with him on a given topic. As I told Robbie John in episode 14 of Faith in the Folds, if there were one person after whom I would model my social media interactions, it would definitely be John Mark Hicks. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations we're having here on the podcast, would you be willing to like and subscribe to us, and maybe share us with someone who you think might benefit from this? And as always, thank you so much for tuning in today. Well, John Mark, thank you so much, sir, for joining us on the podcast today. I am excited to dig into uh, what we are going to dig into today here in just a minute. But before we get into all that, uh, can I ask, uh, I suspect there are going to be a lot of folks who are familiar with you or your work, um, especially folks from the Middle Tennessee area. But for those maybe listening out of the state or who don't know you very well, can you tell us uh, just kind of a little bit about yourself I know you're teaching, but how long have you been teaching? How long have you been working with churches? Help us kind of get to know you a little bit uh, before we dig into uh, what we're going to talk about today. Well, thank you for having me, Kevin. I appreciate it very much. And uh, this is a great opportunity. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my, uh, I grew up in Churches of Christ. My dad was a minister. My wife, not me, my mother was a teacher in public education. And so teaching kind of was in my blood from the very beginning, um, from the time I was 12 years old, I wanted to be a preacher of some way connected to the church, ministering in the church. And um, in those early years, I, I kind of gave up on a lot of other things and just threw myself wholly into reading my dad's library. <laughs> so I read a lot of the books in my dad's library, most of them, in fact, especially those by Restoration authors, you know, Stone yeah. Campbell authors of Churches of Christ. And I read so many debates, for example. Mm. Uh, so I was very much uh, uh, enthused with the prospect of, of pursuing that, mm-hmm. um, always wanted to do that. And I went to Fried Hardeman, where my dad went, my mom went. Um, so I uh, followed in those footsteps and spent three years at Fried Hardeman and got my bachelor's degree, uh, then decided to uh, pursue graduate degrees because I wanted to go to Europe as a missionary, Oh, wow. uh, particularly in Germany. And so I also had a minor in German at uh, Fried Hardeman. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, my life was interrupted when my first wife died in 1980. And so I decided uh, to grieve, <laughs> although I don't know how conscious this was at the time. But Fair enough, yeah. Uh, grieving would be uh, best done by going ahead and getting a PhD. You know, since I, I had opportunity, I, I didn't have family, I had insurance money. And <laughs> so just circumstance led me to go ahead and pursue a PhD. And I decided to do that in historical theology um, because I was, I'm always been interested in history. And I've always thought history was a good way to become aware of our own prejudices and biases Mm -hmm. and to learn from those who came before. We're not the first ones to read the Bible. Um, So I did my PhD at Westminster Seminary in Reformation and post-Reformation theology. And I chose that because it was, it was like precursor to restorationism. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I prepared myself for actually uh, becoming um, a serious student of the restoration movement. And so mm-hmm. I've done a lot of writing in, in that area as well. And, it, and it's informed everything I've, I've written and taught. 
uh, both restoration history, uh, reformation history, church history, but also you know, my exegetical work and biblical theology. Mm -hmm. um, I've been doing that for 40 years now, been teaching in higher education for 40 years in, yeah. among churches of Christ. Had my first uh, experience of that back in 1982. So uh, this year is the 40th year of teaching. Right. right now, I am, uh, I've been 20 years. Half of this has now been at Lipscomb University okay. in Nashville, Tennessee, where I am professor of theology and teach in the graduate area, um, master's degree students and doctor of ministry degree students. Mm. And, and loving every minute of it, although I'm getting tired of the grading, right? The grading is really, uh, <laughs> really a bothersome sort of thing. Yeah. A lot of ethical dilemmas there. You know, I, I'd really just kind of shelve that. Yeah. Can we just go pass fail and, and let me teach, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Assessing is not, not the greatest uh, strength that I have uh, in terms of, is this an A or a B or a C, you know? Right. Um, I, I yeah. don't like that part of it, but I do enjoy the students and I enjoy the intellectual engagement mm -hmm. that happens there. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm I'm fortunate enough to uh, to have an adjunct position with Harding School of Theology. Oh, good. Uh, but what I teach is elementary Greek, which okay. is a little I would say a little bit easier than that's a little bit easier to grade. A little bit easier a little to more grade. Objective, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah, a little bit more objective. You got this you spelled this word correctly or incorrectly <laughs> right, <laughs> Ra right. rather than you know do you understand the you know the subtle nuances here between uh, uh transubstantiation you could get into a few arguments about translation though right? uh, <laughs> we we get into some occasionally but with sort of the baby <laughs> vocabulary that we learn especially in first semester uh, which at the time of recording is only a few weeks away um, well as you know i have a great love for harding uh, school of theology uh, you, you I taught, taught there for, for nine uh, years nine years i thought it was around 10 nine yeah. years from yeah. 91 to 2000 so yeah and i, I taught adjunct up until last year uh, that, well. that's right that's right i i never i never took one of your classes while i was at hst but your specifically your providence and suffering class was always spoken very highly of even even despite the the fun sounding name Providence and Suffering, <laughs> they uh, everyone yeah. I knew who took that class always spoke very highly of it. Well, yeah. they suffered through, so they came out on the other <laughs> end, yeah. perhaps providentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there's a there's a lesson to be learned there. Yes, sir. Well, one thing that you mentioned in 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 these uh, biographical in this biographical sketch that you gave us that I wouldn't mind if we could uh, dig in just for a second. I didn't prompt you ahead of time, but I, I don't think it'll be too hard to, to dig into this just for a moment. You mentioned that Reformation and sort of post-Reformation um, history is kind of a mm -hmm. precursor to Restoration movement history. So for folks right. who are listening, uh, Reformation, we're thinking of Martin Luther, uh, John Calvin, guys John like Calvin. that. Um, when we talk about restoration, particularly the American Restoration Movement, also known as the Stone Campbell Movement, we're thinking of guys like Thomas and Alexander Campbell, Martin W. Stone, and then such figures like David Lipscomb, James A. Harding a little bit later, and so on. Um, how, how is Reformation history, how does it serve as a precursor for restoration yeah. history. Can you kind of just sort of briefly give sure. us a little sketch on that? Well, there are, there are different impulses in the Reformation movement. I mean, for Luther, for example, the impulse was to restore the gospel, mm -hmm. right? 
And even Campbell talked about the restoration of the ancient gospel. So there is a restorationist impulse, even in Luther, except that for Luther, the restoration of the gospel did not entail a restoration of church forms mm -hmm. or of ecclesial forms in the biblical text. He was, he was more interested in reforming the church so that it was coherent or consistent with the gospel, right? Now, with John Calvin, you have a different scenario. He's very much a primitivist. He wants to restore the church as well. His reforming of the church was according to the model of the New Testament. So he wanted the church to look like the New Testament. So there is a... Speaking the language strong, of the churches of Christ here. Yeah, very similar, uh, because we, because churches of Christ have that same impulse, and it's a reformed impulse. It comes out of the reformed tradition, John mm -hmm. Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli, uh, the Puritans, uh, even um, you know, Presbyterianism in certain forms mm -hmm. has that very strong restorationist impulse, where you, you do worship by the regulative principle, you're regulated by scripture. So it's a very strong continuity, uh, even in terms of the hermeneutic, which is the regulative principle and command example and inference. That hermeneutic was operative among the Westminster divines, for example, in the seven, 1600s. Yeah. You can see it in Puritan writings. You can see it in Charles Hodge, the American Presbyterian. Uh, okay. So it's not... Um, we, didn't, we didn't invent something new here. We just applied it in a more uh, specific way or a different way yeah yeah so I, I guess to some degree then since you went to uh, westminster seminary uh, in pennsylvania right yes philadelphia so, since, uh, since you went to westminster um there they probably did things in ways that you thought okay i could see how y'all get to this and given your mm -hmm. own background is that fair that is fair yes i that that's where i learned Basically, that there are some operative principles, uh, shared operative principles between the Reformed tradition and, and what we came to know as Churches of Christ. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a fascinating conversation for another time. Uh, yeah, be happy to have that. Thank you very much, sir. What I wanted to dig into today with you was a list of kind of 12 rules or guidelines that over the course of maybe a, a week or two, you had gradually posted on Facebook. Before we actually look at the list, though, I do want to ask, kind of in a time when a lot of folks are abandoning social media for one reason or another, it seems like you have stayed and not just stayed, but have stayed fairly active for those who um, for those who know you and follow you and are friends with you, say, on Facebook or other venues. Let me ask, why stay on social media, given social media's often sort of generally negative reputation? Why stay? Well, that's a good question. I. I have moments when I think I'm done with this and I'm going to move on. Um, and those come fairly regularly, actually. Uh, yeah. And as, as um, many, I think, probably feel similarly during particular moments of national convulsion, <laughs> whether it's elections I, or Before whatever. recording, yeah, I mentioned um, it. About every two years, I think, man, yeah. I'm ready to bail. Yeah, and, and then, you know, when you have moments of... Um, national attention on something uh, that 
you get people on such polarized in polarizing ways um angry with each other and commenting and with anger yeah those are moments when i want to leave but i stay and i stay for for several reasons i imagine uh, one is i have a community Mm-hmm. There's a community that I have on Facebook, and Facebook's the only social media I really pay any attention to. Okay. I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I post on that maybe once every two months or something. I mean, that's not, I don't even look at it, tell you the truth. Yeah. But Facebook, I'm looking at every day because mm-hmm. uh, I have a community there. Um, I've built relationships with people, people I've never met even uh, through that venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I, I think that if we all leave, uh, then what's left is, is told is might be potentially all negativity and total polarization. Mm -hmm. So I stay in hopes to be somewhat of a mediator, uh, to fulfill kind of a redemptive role. So what I, I I post something every morning, for example, a quote from some dead Christian, (laughs) I don't quote living people. I quote dead ones. Uh, because uh, I don't want to get in get into arguments about the you know the living people. So, uh, but with the wisdom of the past, mm-hmm. and my function, uh, if you watch those closely, I think you can see I'm actually commenting on the social okay. situation, mm-hmm. but I'm doing it through um, past uh, wisdom. Mm-hmm. And the wisdom is indirect. That is, it's not directly addressing whatever the question is. Sure. But the wisdom um, applies to to a lot of the social conversations that are going on. And so I I, want to be a a moment of good, a moment of uh, reconciliation uh, with my Facebook presence. And and so I think those basically just two reasons, community and at least the role that I think I have um, or want to have in terms of reminding people of the wisdom of a particular kind of path, a path of peace and kindness and welcoming and hospitality. And that path uh, has uh, the potential for transformation. Yeah, yeah. All of that is extraordinarily admirable. And you may not be aware, but in an episode that, um, that I recorded maybe a month or so ago with uh, a minister friend of mine uh, down in Tampa, Florida, Robbie John, a name you may mm. be familiar with. Mm. Um, Robbie and I were talking about engagement on social media and um, he was, uh, you know, he was talking about resources that he has that kind of keep him fresh as a relatively young minister. I think Robbie's under 40. Um, that counts as relatively young, right? <laughs> Yes, that counts as young in my book. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he mentioned he mentioned some works that you've uh, published within the last couple of years, and uh, we, we just sort of organically started talking about your presence on social media. And I mentioned, you know, there, you know, for for a public audience, you know, Robbie, yeah, there, there's a couple of things that John, Mark, and I would come down on, uh, you know, different sides of the issue, but. If there were one person, if there were one person that I needed, that I wanted to model my social media presence after, it would be John Mark Hicks. So as I was telling him that, it was a few weeks later when I noticed this list that you came up with, sort of 12 
12 guidelines or 12 rules for engaging in social media. How'd you come up with these? Well, I, I appreciate that conversation you had a few weeks ago. Now I got to go listen to it. You know? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm grateful that I, that, that I can be received in that way. Uh, although it'd be better to have Jesus as a model, but he didn't have Fair. this book back then. Um, <laughs> yeah. But how did I come up with this list? Well, I, I started a private group mm -hmm. to critique some of my writings, okay. uh, a place where we could have discussions about what I'm writing and, and actually let them read things before I publish it. Um, and this group has about over 200 people in it. Wow. Uh, they're not all, not at all active, of course, but, sure. um, but I do put stuff up there that I'm going to publish and, and get their feedback and how they hear it. And, and so when I um, recently, uh, when I began to put up some things on some very controversial topics, I, I created that list mm -hmm. as a way of saying, look, this is how we're going to do this, you know, and you can't, these are not rules in the sense of, you know, you violate them, you're out. Yeah. But these are tips or guidelines for how I would like for this kind of discussion to go. Mm -hmm. And that we can have a fruitful discussion, a, a discussion that actually makes progress rather yeah. than getting into shouting match at one another. So I created the list for that group. Mm -hmm. And somebody responded after the list. They, they said, well, you ought to put this in other groups that we're members of, you know, and, and let them also hear this. Um, I'm the administrator of this private group. So sure. I felt like I could set out some guidelines right but, yeah you know i'm not the administrator of other i'm not the administrator of any other group mm -hmm. uh, other than that one um but yeah so i thought okay well let me just do this as a daily thing for 12 days uh, uh facebook tips for discussion yeah discussion on facebook i guess you could expand that to social media but sure particularly facebook yeah and like you mentioned yeah, facebook is your primary social media outlet um, I, you also mentioned that you're not administrator of any other groups. I'm, I'm surprised and somewhat disappointed to hear that you're not the president of the John Mark Hicks fan club. Oh, I didn't know there was one. I just, I, I just... I, if there isn't, there should be. Yeah. Well, you know, be. maybe I ought to create, I'll, I'll create it if somebody will be administrator. You could probably... <laughs> a, a name that comes to mind is Garrett Best. He's a good buddy. Oh mine. yeah. Give Garrett, Garrett a shout Garrett's... out to record yeah, an episode Garrett's a great him. guy. He is, yeah. yeah. Recorded an episode with him a couple of days ago, or a couple of couple of weeks ago. On uh, yeah, I saw on, that. I saw that demystifying revelation. That was a lot of fun. Um, mm. So let's dig into this list then. I'll I'll uh, I'll read the okay. first one for us. Uh, and these are sort of uh, John Mark Hicks's twelve. I don't know if you call, you said not rules, maybe guidelines. Um, yep, or tips. You know? Tips. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We tips for tips. a fruitful discussion. Very good. Have a fruitful discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, First one, read the post carefully. If you think you want to respond, read it twice more. As far as possible, understand the main point of the post, its argument, and its tone. The first thing that stood out to me with this particular one is the, the focus or, or the mention of tone. What is it about mm. tone that is important for us to notice and, and even care about? Yeah. Well, it seems to me on Facebook, um, since you are lacking 90% of communication in terms of body language and so on, 
that stating your point in such a way that maximizes a healthy tone is really important because the words by themselves can be so totally misunderstood, especially if you're being sarcastic or something of that nature, maybe taken the wrong way, maybe in a way that you did not intend. So paying careful attention to the tone of any response uh, is, is maximum. I mean, we need to maximize that in terms of social media because that's the only form of communication that is there, unless you put an emoji in there, right? Or something of that nature. That when you tell a joke, yeah, you need an emoji after you tell a joke in right. Facebook, it yeah. seems to me, yeah. um, because it could be misunderstood. So, mm -hmm. and tone, tone is important uh, because it does uh, shape the rest of the discussion. Yeah. I mean, if you start out angry and harsh, uh, that's gonna be remembered in the rest of the back and forth. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to shape how people hear you. You know, there's a old saying that if uh, I think it, it, one of the fathers, I think it was Chrysostom, maybe this said it, I may be wrong about that, uh, that you can say something harshly and it may be true, but when you say it harshly, no one's going to listen. Mm. It's not going to sound true. You know, mm -hmm. so we have to be careful about that. I've noticed that just even with disciplining my own children, you know, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And if I can you know, pull one to, to the side and sort of with this volume level, hey, buddy, we told you about that. Yeah. That goes yeah. a lot better than, are you serious? Yeah, something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, right, right. I've told you a million times, right. you know, and, and yell, it, yell it out like that. Yeah, and yeah it's yeah. not as effective. In fact, it can be damaging, you know. Very much so. Very much so. It is, uh, I, it seems like, you know, here it is, it is absolutely necessary. And maybe this applies to all the rest, all of them or the mo majority of them is absolutely necessary for the person uh, posting to, um, <clears throat> to try to be as clear as possible. Yes. And for the person reading to, um, to try as much as possible to really feel like they understand what's going on. That right. um, really, it, it, it's a lot of effort on both both sides. Is that fair? It is, but apparently, but but unfortunately, we don't see that effort most of the time. Mm. What we see is quick reaction. Yeah. Instead of responding, often I see kind of a reaction, and it could be a reaction of anger. It could be a reaction of a put down. How stupid is that? Um, you know, especially things we're talking about would disagree about. Sure. Um, yeah. So reading it carefully and reading it again and again, making sure, did I read that? I mean, if you respond to something after reading it once, I, I imagine you're responding more to how you feel about what you read mm. instead of what was actually said. Mm -hmm. and, and what you read may not be what was actually said because you read it quickly. Right. Uh, so you got to go back and read it again yeah. several times. Especially, I can see this, especially if it's someone with whom perhaps one has had disagreements in the past. Yeah. So yes, already exactly. my senses are heightened. I'm on high alert anyway when I go mm. in here. And if I read something that seems even to some degree kind of like the dumb things that I've heard them say in the past, dumb in air yeah. quotes here. Right. I'm going to be more. Well, we have apt. expectations. 
you know, Very much we, so. when we, a particular person we've had a past with, we have expectations and sometimes our expectations will color. Well, they will color yeah. what we read unless we stop and pause and pay attention and read it carefully. Yeah. Very much so. Number two, before you respond, take a few moments, even minutes, or if necessary, hours to pray, calm your soul and refocus your heart. Do not offer an immediate reply as if you have thought about this for a matter of seconds. Give it a few minutes or whatever time it takes to channel the emotion into something profitable, loving, and edifying. It is, it is extraordinary to me to hear someone seriously suggest to take hours, maybe, if necessary, before responding have you found this to be true in, in your own interactions on yeah. Facebook? I have often, well, you know, it would be hard to quantify, but I have on many occasions taken hours. Wow. Uh, I mean, I can get up in the morning and read a response to something and I'm thinking, oh, that's outrageous. You know, <laughs> why, why would they say that? Um, and I could have immediately responded but instead, I take a shower, I relax, I do my prayer time, um, and, you know, I calm down, and I begin to think, okay, what is, he, what is this person really saying, and what is it they're really after? Uh, how can I discern that, and, and be more reflective about my response, rather than kind of immediately shooting off out of my anger, out of my disgust, or whatever feeling I'm having, because I'm going to have those feelings, I'm going to react to I'm going to have immediate reactions of anger and disgust and how in the world could they think that or how in the world could they say that? I mean, I have that all the time, but that's not a place out of which to respond. Mm. Seems to me we have to, we have to calm our souls a little bit, soothe ourselves a little bit, find the presence of the spirit in our lives and, and um, get to a point where we can actually respond with uh, a helpful or a positive, not necessarily positive, but um, a response that is appropriately toned, you yeah. know, and appropriate to the point that's being asked. Yeah. I, I especially like the notion of just sort of returning back to it later. Give yourself mm -hmm. some time. Yeah. 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 That is um, something that I have done occasionally. More often, I've fallen down, fallen in kind of two two areas with this. When I find something that I think is outrageous on uh, on Facebook, I'll respond quickly, and it's always on my phone, right? When I when it's hard yeah. to type and I'm trying to get there quickly, <laughs> and you know, kids exactly. are around and I'm trying to do something else, you know. I never never do I just never do I run across any of these outrageous posts. Uh, you know, you say outrageous tongue in cheek. Uh, when I have an hour for social media, <laughs> I could just sit yeah, here and think sure. about it. Um, I'll either post in frustration, and then my you know like my my tone is clear, you know I'm not thinking clearly enough, or mm. I'll just say I probably not going to change anybody's mind here, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave it. Yeah. When perhaps I could have weighed in helpfully, but yeah, well I mean there are times when I don't respond. I mean I think mm -hmm. we'll get to that later maybe, yeah. but. But there are appropriate moments to say that is not worth it. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Very true.
Number three, when responding to a post, begin with affirmation. What do you appreciate about this post? Do you appreciate its curiosity, its point, its tone, its argument, or its search for understanding? Name what you appreciate about the post or the person. Uh, talk to us about beginning with uh, affirmation here. What does that what does that do generally speaking to the conversation? How does that sort of get things going? Well, I hope it says in the first place, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. You know, I read you and I have something I appreciate about it. Um, so I'm connected. I'm not just flying off the handle. Mm-hmm. I'm not just uh, dishing, uh, dissing on you. You know, I, I, there are things about you I like and I appreciate and I want to affirm that. Just like Paul tells the Corinthians, right? Everything's great <laughs> at the beginning of the letter. <laughs> Uh, you might say, well, Paul's being disingenuous. Well, no, I can feel that way about people, but then have some problems with them, right? right? Or with yeah. what they're doing or saying. So I think it just, it sets, um, it, it sets up a different sort of expectation. Mm-hmm. That is when I begin with affirmation and it can be very simple affirmation, like, thank you for responding. I mean, <laughs> it could be just that simple. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 sets up a different moment where the argument is not snap. It's not mm-hmm. right off the bat. It is rather, okay, let's calm down. Thank you. But let's think about this. Yeah. yeah. But I think affirmation is a good way to begin. I hadn't thought about it this way before until you mentioned it just a moment ago, that beginning with an affirmation you know, generates some kind of connection. Yes. Hopefully a positive connection. I hadn't hadn't yes. put that together before, but that does make sense. It, you you are a, you are a, basically extending or reminding someone, perhaps reminding is a good way to put it. You are reminding someone that, you know, hey, we we do have this you know, sort of positive prior connection that you know, we can build mm-hmm. off of that, even though we might disagree in what we about to say. Right. Yeah, there's something we share. We have something in common. Yeah. I like that. Very much so. Number four, restate what you understand the point of the post is. It's helpful to think in these terms. What I hear you saying is, et cetera. Often we don't hear as well as we think we do. What do you mean? <laughs> we don't hear as well as we think we do. Yeah, um, that can be complicated to do. Yeah. Um, because sometimes you're not wanting to extend a discussion in, in any great length. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is often helpful to say, now, what I heard was you're making this point or you're making this argument. Is that correct? Did I hear you well? Uh, And if that's the case, then here's what I think, you know, but give the opportunity. I think we have to give our exhibit some humility here that I may Mm. have misunderstood you. Yeah. And, And I may be taking this to a place that you would not have intended it to go. So I want to, offer that recognition right up front that I could be wrong in the way I'm hearing you. So please, you know, confirm or, or extend your comments. Uh, d- tell me exactly what's going on uh, yeah. in, in another way. If, if I'm misunderstanding you. Mm-hmm. I can see how maybe some might hear this uh, particular one and think, Oh, that feels so artificial. Right. But mm-hmm. unless I'm mistaken, I mean, the times that I have uh, sat with 
a um, you know, sat with a, a counselor, someone in a helping profession, you know, they have done this very thing, sort of right. help, you know, kind of restate what's going on in order to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Mm-hmm. As artificial yeah, exactly. as it may feel on Facebook, I think that that's pretty yeah. valuable. I think it's a great communication technique between a husband and wife, for example. Mm. Yeah, what I hear you saying is, yeah, you know, just to make sure I'm, I'm clear about yeah. where you're coming from, um, and it, so that's another connection point, as you put it. Uh, not only do we have shared common ground, but also we're really com- we're actually communicating here because mm-hmm. I'm confirming I understand what you intend to say, and when you confirm it, then hey, we can make progress. Yeah, very true. Very true. Number five, when responding to the point of the post, state the response as succinctly as possible, but with sufficient clarity and explanation. Make the point direct rather than circumnavigating the globe. Direct, but kind and open to correction and dialogue. Refrain from long posts and cryptic ones. If it is too long, it won't be read carefully. If cryptic, your expectation that the reader will fully understand is a hindrance to dialogue and may come across as smug. I can't help but appreciate the irony that so far this is the longest rule or guideline. <laughs> yeah. But um, what? Why succinct? Right? What uh, yeah. kind of help us uh, help us see that? You know, why? Well, why this kind may, of tear down your prose here? It it may be just me, um, but my experience in my own internal world is the longer the post, the less I want to read it. Hmm. Uh, I don't want to yeah. spend that much time. And if I want to read, I can read an article and I expect it to be long. Fair. Yeah. But when I'm reading a Facebook post, I'm, you know, get to the point, you know, as, yeah. as um, this is social media. This is not um, SBL or something where we're giving long <laughs> papers and arguing about that. Yeah. Um, so, so I think succinct, um, if you write something long, I'm typically not going to read it. If I read it, I'm not going to read it well. I mean, I'm going to be struck by something that that I want to respond to. So now I'm thinking about how I'm going to respond instead of paying careful attention to what you're saying. Uh-huh. So I'm already formulating my response to the first paragraph. Mm-hmm. And that means the 10th paragraph doesn't get much attention. Right. Because I'm distracted. And something in the 10th paragraph that might have mitigated your yeah. response to the first paragraph ends up getting missed. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's also about focus, focusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the longer the response, the less focus there is. And I think in these kind of discussions, it's better to have a really clear focus of, of what you're saying. Uh, the other end of that is to be so cryptic that I'm not really sure what you're talking about mm-hmm. um, or be sarcastic. And I'm not sure what the sarcasm is about. Mm-hmm. Um, cryptic. I think a cryptic response probably angers me more than any other because um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm think I feel dismissed. I feel like, oh, you think this is so simple. You can just give me a sentence and it's over, you know, yeah. uh, or give me a sentence and you put me in my place and. And so my ego gets involved in that. Um, and so cryptic doesn't help in my mind. Uh, for one thing, you can be so cryptic that you're ambiguous. You can be so cryptic that nobody really knows what you're talking about. Right. And I've had to do that on many occasions. Like, uh, well, what do you, what do you mean? Do you mean <laughs> this? That's when I go back with, do you mean, Yeah. you know, um, because you're not explaining what your point is. You're not telling me, 
what the exact point you're making is. Tell yeah. me the point instead of just being cryptic about it. Right. It's uh, it, it feels like in some ways almost like a like a bait where you're mm. you're trying to lure trying to lure oftentimes yeah or you're trying to lure the person who made the original post into uh, you know suddenly fighting on on your terms rather than arguing right. on you know here here's the topic for discussion right. and now I'm not only am I defending what I have said with you know you know facts or logic or evidence or mm. sound exegesis or whatever now I'm having to defend what what you have only subtly hinted that I might possibly could be <laughs> guilty yeah. of or something along those lines. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, one of the one of the more frustrating circumstances for me is when someone responds by asking a one sentence question, and then I respond. They ask another one sentence question, and I respond. Uh, at some point, I stop responding to that <laughs> kind of thing. But uh, it seems to me what I'm being I'm being as you put it, baited. I'm yeah. being led into um, le these leading questions mm -hmm. or an attempt to box me in in some way, right? Uh, and then lower the hammer. You know, yeah. Why don't you make your argument? Please just make your argument, right? You know, yeah. and, and instead of just trying to lead me to a place you want me to go, right? Yeah, yeah. There's. Uh, I'm reminded uh, <laughs> of uh, some stories I heard in the Gospels where uh, where Jesus was baited. To yeah. There's some truth to that. Yikes! Right? Uh, suddenly, I'm and he answered with some questions of his own. Yeah, uh, sometimes I do that as well. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Yeah, very true. Uh, and one other thing too about number five that you mentioned here, being direct, it is possible. It is possible. It's preferable actually to be kind, direct and kind. But also, yeah. in being direct, you can be open to correction. Hmm. Right. Which again goes back to something that we've stated a couple of times already: the importance of humility hmm. in in posting this. I mean, exactly. Yeah, I, and that's one thing that I have uh, that I've appreciated about you when I when I see you and, and again for for the circles that I have run in, you know, parting, you know, growing up in in Nashville, um, and so being familiar with you, um, you know, uh, in those venues, and then also parting school of theology, and just because we run a, have overlapping circles on facebook and various groups in that uh, that venue um i have always appreciated how you present yourself as open to correction and someone that uh, someone that has your reputation in the circles that we tend to run um that's very that's very humbling and admirable i think in uh, yeah, at least how i see it well, thank you. Uh, I wish I wish I could internally live up to that one in another way. <laughs> I'm sure that's not always the case, but yeah. I, I, it certainly is um, what I think we're all called to as disciples of Jesus to mm -hmm. to recognize. Hey, we can be wrong, and we need to listen to each other. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I don't I don't know anybody who's posted that John Mark John Mark Hicks is the most humble man in the world. That is obviously Moses, but uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a comparison yeah <laughs> that's right that's right uh, number six deflections and defensiveness do not lead to healthy dialogue consequently in your response do not reflect by changing the subject what about oh, we're going to get to that one here in just a second or becoming defensive do you think i'm stupid 
Instead, address the point at issue directly. Again, directness mm -hmm. here. If you want to extend the point in a different direction, clearly identify that this is what you're doing. And then you give kind of an example of that. I know this is not your point, but I think it'd be helpful to think about this as well in order to illuminate our discussion. Talk to me about whataboutism. That's something that, that we often hear about. Um, and it usually happens when bad thing X has happened. Somebody mentions bad thing Y and say, well, what about? Why is that not helpful? Well, it, it minimizes bad thing X, right? Yeah. It, it basically says bad thing X is not so bad. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or you might, somebody might even argue that, that Y is worse than X. Mm -hmm. So, but it doesn't really get to address, okay, the badness of X. Right. <laughs> you, de you deflect it so that you don't really talk about the thing that's bad. Mm -hmm. right? We can say both things are bad. Both things are horrible. Uh, but we need a space where we can talk about X. Mm -hmm. And we need a space that we can talk about Y. Now, if you want to talk about Y, go post on your own page you know? <laughs> and talk about Y, you know? Yeah. But I posted about X. Mm -hmm. And if you want to have a discussion about X, okay, let's have a discussion about X. But don't, don't then deflect and take us off track by bringing right. up Y. Now, the, the, the exception to that might be that if bringing up Y illuminates something about how we experience X. Mm. But you got to tell me that's what you're doing. Yeah. That you're not just deflecting. You're actually trying to make a point that will help us understand X better. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, def I think deflection is one of the major, is it, if not the major, faux pas uh, on... Facebook discussions or social media discussions. Yeah. Anytime I see a, a, you know, any number of certain hot button you know, sociopolitical issues, inevitably somebody will post, and we've just been using X and Y as examples here. Uh, yeah, and, and all, the question is almost always phrased, well, what about, mm -hmm. what about this? What about that? As if yeah. to say, well, like you mentioned, that uh, X has no validity or Y has greater validity or like I said, it right. is, is more, um, you know, is more horrible. Mm. I, I like how you, I, I like how you mentioned that here. If it's my post, right? Like if it's my post and we're talking about X, yeah. I think it's at least fair to let me kind of, you know, be able to state, Hey, we're going to talk about X here in this particular venue. If you want to talk about why, fair enough. You are free to do that. But then there is a, you know, there are times, like you mentioned, where we could, we could actually have why come up to, uh, to illuminate what's going on. But as you've mentioned earlier, the importance of clarity and expl explanation, it might be, it might be the most charitable thing to do to your dialogue partner to say, hey, I would actually like to mention why, because I think it can help us kind of see some way where we're maybe missing some yeah. overlapping connection or something along those lines. Right. Yeah. So you use why to help you understand X. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So true. if in that case, yeah. But tell me that's what you're doing. 
and tell and don't do it in a way that takes the focus off of x mm -hmm. because that's the bad we're talking about or the good that we're talking about you know yeah. either way um, very true yeah yeah number seven don't speak in absolutes rather speak out of the situated character of your thinking for example quote in my experience or quote as it seems to me quote or this is how i see it fitting into etc cetera, etc cetera. state your conviction argue for it and provide substantial reasons while at the same time demonstrating once again humility and openness to listening to the other what is the value of sort of um it kind of dialing back the uh the absoluteness of your yeah. statements is there a time to be absolute in them uh maybe let's talk about what is the value of kind of dialing that back a little bit first well i think it's about epistemological humility it's mm. about the humility of what we know and don't know and how well we know it and what level we know it at and whether we're interpreting it well or whether we're stating it well all those are are you know, human fallibility and human finitude mm -hmm. ought to caution us that no statement of ours is absolute in the sense that it is an uninterpreted um, thing out there in the vacuum. Mm -hmm. Every statement is, an, is subject to interpretation, like even saying God is love. Well, it depends on what you mean by God and right. it depends on what you mean by love. And even depends on what you mean by is, because, yeah. you know, is my mean several different things. Famous right? question back in the 1990s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so God is love is a true statement, I think. But it's an interpreted statement. Mm -hmm. It gets interpreted in our heads. Yeah. Uh, because somebody, we could all agree God is love, but a universalist could say it. And a particularist could say it. They mean very different things. By Fair that. enough. Yeah. Um, so, so we don't speak in absolutes in that sense. Now. I think there is absolute truth. Mm -hmm. I think there are truths that are absolute. God is, right? Is for yeah. me and, and, and God is the absolute truth. But my finitude and my fallibility ought to seem to me generate a kind of humility that says, you know, I may not have understood that well. And I may not be able to say that well. So I, I need help in community to, to say that better. But right now, from where I sit, this is what it looks like to me. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I think there's just humility in that and, yeah. and an openness to correction. If I, if I state something in such a way that is so absolute that it cuts off any possibility of learning something different or cutting off any kind of possibility that I might be wrong, well, there's no dialogue there. Yeah. 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 At least none that's pr profitable. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, there could be an argument. <laughs> yeah. But not a dialogue. Right. Yeah, that's fair. I like that distinction. Yeah. Uh, so far, I mean, we're halfway through this list. So far, if there's been one common thread hmm. that either has been stated explicitly or is it at least resides implicitly in each of these, it's been the importance of humility. Yeah. yeah. That's, I think that was probably one of the things that struck me the most. When okay. I was reading well, this, so, uh, let's fair. continue on. Number eight, in longer posts, 
And I love this parenthetical aside that you have here, which are not typically recommended. Uh, <laughs> C number five. You can say. <laughs> right, exactly. And longer posts, which are not typically recommended. It is sometimes helpful to enumerate the points you are making so that readers don't miss them, confuse them, or conflate them. For example, I might respond to a post by listing three separate points. They may all three respond to the same argument, or they may be three different questions or issues related to the post. Enumerating them helps subsequent responders to precisely identify the referent of their response. So do you actually go through and, you know, in a longer post, you'll actually say, okay, here's one thing I've noticed and another thing I noticed. And if necessary, you know, here's a, here's a third thing I, I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Do, you, yeah. do you do this in, with longer posts? Well, on my public Facebook page, usually not, because I usually don't write long posts. Right. I, I keep them short and brief for the most part. Mm -hmm. uh, but in that private discussion group mm -hmm. where we're talking about my new book or or manuscript or something like that, then, yeah, I'm enumerating. I'm, I'm saying, okay, point one, two, because when somebody responds to something that I've written, um, I want to I want to know what specifically they're talking about and what specific thing uh, is provoking or evoking this kind of response. Yeah. And so I'd love it to be enumerated, and so I can say, oh, we can have a clear discussion or clearer discussion if they enumerate. Oh, here's a, number one. I have this problem, and then I can respond. Oh, responding to number one. Mm -hmm. It can also be about an economy of words as well. Yeah. Mm. That, that we don't just keep restating it over and over again, but we say, oh, number one, you know, it's like telling a joke, right? Number one, everybody laughs because everybody knows what number one refers to. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there's a value in that. So yes, in longer posts, I like to use some kind of structure. Mm -hmm. Now, enumeration is just my suggestion. Sure, right? yeah. You know, but some kind of structure where I, I know what you're responding to and you know what I'm responding to. Because how many times you've seen on Facebook somebody respond in a way that they just go off the handle and the person responds to them by saying, where did you get that? <laughs> you know, what did I say that made you think that? You know, well, if, if we're clear about this is what you said, restating what we heard, right? This mm -hmm. is what you said, and here's my response. And if there's like three of those, then then, then just identify them you know, in some way. Uh, so that we can keep them separate in the discussion and not yeah. conflate them. Another another name that you may at least be familiar with to some degree, because I, I think he's active in some of the Facebook forums that you and I are in, is uh, my friend and youth and family minister at Cloverdale Church of Christ in Searcy, Arkansas, Luke Dockery. He yeah, does great, Luke. Uh -huh. He does a great job with this, even in text, like personal text messages. And he and I have been friends for... Um, you know, for over 15 years now, it, even in personal text messages, he'll, you know, he'll do bullet points and stuff like yeah. that. It's, it's, it's great. And I love the way that he handles himself on Facebook in a manner that is very similar to kind of what we've been discussing today. Talk to me about the economy yeah. of words. Uh, you mentioned that um, that's a phrase that maybe a lot of folks uh, might not be familiar with. What do you mean by that? And what's the value of that? Well, the economy of words is about brevity, and precision and focus. So let me say what I want to say well, but in as few words as possible. 
Mm -hmm. is the more words you use, the less likely people are reading carefully. Yeah. In, in a social media context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I like that. Social media, it's, it's fascinating because it's often billed as sort of a lighthearted way to, to stay connected with folks. A lot of people yeah. use it for sharing, you know, funny memes or sharing family pictures and stuff like that. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's great. I, uh, I, I enjoy seeing that kind of stuff on uh, on social media. What's interesting though is that a lot of I wonder if that has colored a lot of people's perceptions of it. So they mm. come to it with maybe some light expectations of sort of lightheartedness, or mm. or maybe not except expecting anything substantial. And then when they come across yeah. you know, a provo a provocative, positively or negatively provocative post or something along those lines, suddenly they're taken yeah. aback and they're not used to not used to I hear that. that i think i think i think that's a good point um that it, it can create expectations of what you're about to read by yeah. what your perception is what is the function of this media yeah uh, instead of seeing that kind of a it's broad function that it can have a lot of different functions mm -hmm. if we only have one framework in mind when we read something you know and when i say economy of words memes sometimes i'm not a fan of memes mm. myself even Fair though enough. i like the funny ones i like yeah, the funny ones <laughs> star ones star wars ones are, you know? are great right <laughs> yeah i like i like those but memes can also give you a contextual contextless mm. proposition yeah that is so off the wall you know it has no context to it has no nuance to it it's there for shock. It's there for, uh, you know, um, uh, poking the bear, you might say. Uh, and there might be a place for that, you know, shocking. Jesus did some, had some shocking words sure. at times. So I'm not opposed to that, but there was also very much a context for those words. I had a narrative context in the gospels for those mm -hmm. words. So, yeah. I mean, I'm very careful with me. I don't think I ever posted me. I, I don't know that I've I'd have to go back and look. I can't say it never, but <laughs> um, but the, I don't usually find them that helpful. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, maybe uh, you know, maybe some kind of Chicago Cubs meme or something. That, now that might be true. You might yeah. have got me there. That's I mean, fair. That might be. I might have some Chicago Cubs meme up yeah, somewhere. I feel like you, you and Scott McKnight would be <laughs> would be pals. Yeah, we're we're big Cub fans. Yeah, also <laughs> that kind of thing. In fact, we talk about that when we when we do have them. When I have occasion to talk to yeah. Scott, we have mentioned we, that's something we have in common. Very good. Very good. Um, <clears throat> number nine, clearly state where you agree with the post. Then state clearly the point of disagreement or disagreements. We will disagree. It should be understood that a statement of disagreement is not a personal insult. It should have no intention of offending the other. At the same time, the disagreement must be stated in a way that does not insult or intentionally, intentionally offend the other. For example, attack their character or intelligence. Basically, you're warning people about the, um, the ad hominem attack. Mm, right. what, is, uh, what are ad hominem attacks and you know, why are they so damaging in these kinds of settings? Yeah, it could be about their family of origins. It could be about their educational. It could be about their character. Uh, oh, I expect that from you. You were you went to the school at Westminster, <laughs> you know, something like that. Uh, or you went to a liberal institution. Yeah. Or you teach at a liberal school, or you know, any number of things that that um, 
identify you and identify the character of your argument. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the focus is not on the argument. The focus is on your person and how your personhood or your identity or your history um, automatically invalidates your argument. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that'd be the ad hominem. Yeah. And that happens all the time uh, on Facebook, it seems to me. We've already got people pegged. And we don't really listen. Uh, we just dismiss them because we know who they are and what they're saying. Yeah. And we don't have to pay attention that closely. Yeah. In some ways, that strikes me as painfully lazy. I don't have to do any, I don't have to do any legwork, right? Yeah. I don't have to actually engage right. your argument if right. coming from you know the institutions that I've come from, I know where you teach and I know where you go to church or fill in the blank, right? Right. I no longer have to actually try. I no longer have to worry about being challenged. I no right. longer have to worry about uh, expressing humility or being being to any degree open to correction. I, mean, I get that in so many different ways. Uh, I'm not going to read your book because I know what you're going to say. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and that happens at a smaller level at, yeah. a, at a you know on Facebook. Um, but then, you know, I mean, these are pretty detailed guidelines, but remember that they, they arose in the context of having detailed, thorough yeah. discussions mm-hmm. about writings. These are not um, created uh, to manage three sentence Facebook posts, you know, um, <laughs> sure. yeah. and, and yeah. so this was a community in which we were going to engage in, in discussion and mm-hmm. argument and, you know, back and forth. And so the detail kind of reflects that. Yeah, yeah, very good. I, I, I particularly appreciate this one because I, I have received these kinds of insults in the past and unfortunately have given them, um, or at least thought them, let's be fair, at least thought them in the, mm. in the past. And so this one, when I read this, I was like, yeah, get them. Oh, man, it gets me too. <laughs> yeah, well... You take all 12 of these and I've violated each one of them in some way, at <laughs> some point, you know, so yeah, that's fair. <laughs> this fair. is not a perfectionist uh, <laughs> a description. Okay? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Number 10, uh, kindness and gentleness are always good and healthy virtues. There's no place for name calling, uh, like we were just mentioning, or attaching the label, a label to one who does not accept it or see themselves in that way. There's no virtue in beating up or shaming the other. Gentle correction is appropriate. Posting ought to assume one is willing to receive gentle correction, but unkind put-downs, labeling, or dismissals are unacceptable and counterproductive. Talk to me about labeling here. This is yeah. the second sentence in this. This one is fascinating. No place for name-calling. That, that seems fairly straightforward, right? There's no place for name-calling, right? Um, or attaching a label to one who does not accept it or see themselves in that way. Can you dig into that for a little bit and kind of flesh that out for us a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, it can be tricky to be sure. Uh, it's, it's, not, um, it's not something that is gonna be easily discerned, it mm-hmm. seems to me, because there are appropriate times for labels, uh, sure. just as a way for typologies of understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we have to be careful with them, especially when someone says, well, that label doesn't apply to me. And it might not apply because of the way they think about the label. Uh, and I may be thinking very differently about the label. True, true. So yeah. when I'm going to use a label, I, 
and again, I'm not perfect about this. <laughs> you know, I don't always do this mm -hmm. even as I think it ought to be done, right? Um, but when I'm using a label, I don't necessarily attach it to the person. I, I describe what I mean by the label and state the um, particular idea associated with the label. Mm -hmm. And I let them decide whether it applies or not. Mm. And let them distinguish. Well, okay, yeah, if you say it that way, okay, but that's not what I usually hear or what I usually think about when I think about that label. Yeah. Uh, so I can use a label like a Calvinist or an Arminian, or I can use a label like uh, patriarchy or whatever. I, I want to give the other person the opportunity to to say, no, I'm not that, and here's why. Yeah. At the same time that I'm saying, here's what I think that is. Would this fit the description? Would this fit you? And give them the opportunity. In other words, instead of just slamming it down on them, right? Um, and say you're that whether you think it or not, <laughs> you know, um, it's better to to hear what they have to say about it. It seems to mm -hmm. me, and certainly not shame them about it. I mean, it's not, shaming yeah. is not going to to help anything uh, in discussions like this. Very true. Yeah. The um, the thing that I've noticed in in times when I've been in more heated discussions on on Facebook and labels start coming out or in an attempt to kind of explain myself, I might try to carefully nuance a particular label. Mm -hmm. I've um, I've noticed that. Unless I go at great length to very carefully explain how I'm using a particular, particularly charged term, um, I open myself up to to attack. And I, I think I mentioned, I, I don't remember if I mentioned uh, during the recording or, or uh, prior to that, you know, in one particular uh, one particular exchange I had on Facebook uh, last uh, year and a half, two years ago, something like that. Um, some some very rude things were said about me. Thankfully, not by friends. Uh, you know, I had I had friends, you know, argue people that I care about and you know and love and respect and and know very well um, were people who were not you know jumping on this particular um, uh, particular issue. Uh, they were they were coming to my defense, but I I used a term that I I simply did not know would be so charged, and I am beginning to see that maybe labels in general would be wise to try to stay away from. Maybe maybe you wouldn't go that far, but I can see how at least labels in general would be wise to to maybe steer away from. Maybe there's a time and place, and that time and place isn't is it maybe as frequent as we as we think it is what what do you think yeah I, I think so i think in general instead of identifying a label we just want to describe the concept mm -hmm. and somebody else will say oh well that's and label it label x yeah and and then my my response might be well i don't know exactly what you mean by what you that label but if if it means dot 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 then okay yes what you think of me but i don't necessarily label myself that way or yeah. you know something of that nature yeah i think 
you know, in teaching, I use labels. I mean, it, it, I, when yeah. I'm teaching a class in historical theology, I use labels like Calvinist and Lutheran mm -hmm. and Catholic and Arminian and because they're historical typologies that mm -hmm. help us organize ourselves, organize the history in certain ways. So labels are not in themselves bad. Right. It's how we use them and what we assume about them. Yeah. Or that we use a label and therefore categorize everybody under that label as the same thing, you know? Well, no, mm. Reformed theologians have a diversity among them. You know, Lutheran <laughs> theologians have a diversity. So I can use Lutheran and it might communicate something in common, but it doesn't give us the opportunity to nuance differences by yeah. just labeling people. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's probably helpful for me because it, it's tempting, whether religious, you know, in terms of yeah. like a, you know, historical, theological uh, label or sociopolitical or whatever it is, it might be just be helpful for me and, and maybe folks who are like me to begin thinking of labels less as boxes, right? You fit mm. into this box with these rigid parameters and maybe more like something along the lines of, yeah, this is a weird metaphor, but the only thing that comes to mind, first thing that comes to mind is like a cloud, right? You kind of fall under this general area, but there's different shades of yeah. meaning that we can kind of see here and there so, yeah yeah I, I think that that's helpful i can nuance that a little we bit can think better. of labels as generalities rather yes. than specificities yeah, yeah i like that yeah number 11 in closing express your love commitment to dialogue or your desire for peace between you and the other one can simply say peace sister or more expansively Thank you for your commitment to dialogue and understanding. That means so much. Why? Of course, be, sin be sincere when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> You're dumber than a bag of rocks. You know. <laughs> Shalom, brother. <laughs> yeah. 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 Why wrap up this way? How, how does that, you know, what, what's the value in that? Well, let's, let's leave our dialogue at a place where we can continue it mm -hmm. that we're not shutting it down we're not shutting down this relationship we're not saying oh i'm done with you uh, this is over um let's let's express the common bond that we have peace sister mm -hmm. you know we have a common bond so we can talk about this again sometime um we're we're not uh, I, I have not unfriended you <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, yeah. that, although I have unfriended some people. Sure. And, yeah. And and we get to that number twelve, perhaps. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah. So a sincere expression of a desire to continue the relationship, and even to continue the dialogue on another occasion. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, you know, I think we again, Paul begins with affirmation and Paul ends with benediction, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this, this is, this is how Paul cares for the church. Yeah. And I think it's how we can care for each other as well. Yeah. Very true. Very true. I like this, um, you know, commitment to dialogue. You, in a sense, you are pledging a, you know, your commitment to continued friendship, continued, mm -hmm. um, continued uh, unity in Christ. Yeah. 
since the con the original context of this was in a group of Christians helping you work out, yeah, um, working out these things. Yeah, very true. All right, number twelve. When do I stop replying or posting on a thread? Typically, two or three responses is sufficient to address a specific question with an appropriate give and take. Facebook is not a good place for extensive discussion and long posts. Okay, you've hit that one a couple of times before. Yeah. Um, uh, again, that's pers your personal preference. But here are a few pointers that have helped me. A, when I feel frustrated and I cannot respond well with kindness, I don't respond. B, when I feel like we are at an impasse or at the level of a fundamental disagreement and we have both made our point. C, when the time it is worth when the time it is worth taking is not worth the effort in the light of other things I need to be doing, including resting. And D, when I summarize my point, clarify and quote, let it go while acknowledging this will be my last word in this thread, but inviting the other to offer a final reply. I, I think you summed it up pretty well right there. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's um, the last one is important. I think um, we have to be willing to let the other one have the let the other person have the last word. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's no end. You know, we just right. keep back, going back and forth, and usually going back and forth twenty times in the space of thirty minutes, <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't fit with the rest of this right that we've right. talked about um and that is, has a tendency then just to escalate rather mm -hmm. than moderate or have some helpful point so yeah there comes a moment when i say you know i'm done with this i made my point you can listen or not um but i'll give you the last post you can yeah. and why well, i have people who use that last post for through four or five or six paragraphs and there's everything in me that wants to respond you know i, I really want to really you know you did that you took that last opportunity to just boom you know yeah. and uh and i really want to respond but but i keep my commitment i said no i'm, I'm not going to respond uh, yeah. and people who read that can they can see what's going on you know uh i don't have to explain it to people yeah. for the most part so I think that last point is really important that we have, we have to be able to say, um, I'm not going to have the last word on this thread. And that's the only way, that's many, in many ways, that's the way it's going to end. Uh, I have very few people who, after I have my last word, they, they keep responding four, five, six. Those are the people I will block. Yeah. The who don't give up. Mm -hmm. Now, I never blocked anybody until about two years ago. Really? Yeah. And I finally decided uh, that they were abusing my page, mm. that they may get 10 views on their page, but they, they'll get a lot more on mine. And so they're using my page to make their to, to promote themselves and promote their views. And, and I just decided, look, if you can't abide by my rules, um, then I'm just going to block you and not allow you to post on my page. So I decided that that's what I had to do with some people because a, they they just kept going. That's a fascinating realization that that they were basically using it. it 
it seemed to you, right? To go back to which yeah, it one, seemed to me which exactly. one we were talking about. Earlier. I don't know. That's what they were doing. That's, but that's right. What it yeah, seemed to me. Yeah. We're avoiding absolutes, right? That's number seven. Right. Um, mm -hmm. It seemed to you they were using your page and um, uh, you know, kind of the audience that uh, that you've uh, garnered over the years as a way of kind of prompting themselves up. Oh man. Oh, that's kind of cringy. Yeah, espousing their views. Mm -hmm. They want their views to be known. They want they want a particular point made. And when they make it on their page, nobody reads it. So they find a way to use other pages to make their points. And these are the, the trolls and the argumentative types and, and the people who need a place where they can be heard. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just not going to allow them to do that on my page when, when what they want to say is abusive and, and uh, doesn't abide by rules that yeah. I lay down. And, and, and of course they have to be repeat offenders. This is not just kind of one time or two or three, you know, mm -hmm. this is repeat offenders who keep doing that. Understood, yeah. Uh, that bringing me to my next question, it, has there, and obviously I'm, I'm asking you to speak in generality, so unwilling to throw anybody under the bus in this venue. Um, has there been an instance where, you know, first comment out of the gate, you said, "Whoa, mm -mm, I'm not, I'm not touching this. I'm not handling this." Or have, or do you try as hard as you can to respond charitably to anybody and everybody who who comes into the door? Yeah, no, I have no commitment to respond to everybody. Uh, to be Fair sure, um, and I, most time I don't respond. Most of the time it's A, when I feel frustrated, I'm not necessarily frustrated, but I don't feel a need to respond. Mm -hmm. I let people make their own decisions. People, they can, they can see um, whether it's an appropriate thing or whether it's a good argument or I'll, I'll let them decide. So most of the time I don't respond. Um, when I, if I think it's abusive or it is insulting or it uses language that I don't allow, mm -hmm on my page, then I'll delete it. I, I delete comments all the time without warning. Uh, and if they come back at me and say, why did you delete that? I say, well, I deleted it because one, two, and three. Enumerating your points. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> so if you don't want to be deleted, don't do one, two, and three. Yeah. <laughs> you know. that, that should be the next, uh, next list you make. You know, here are the things that will get you deleted. <laughs> Oh, there you go. I just, I just inverse all these, right? <laughs> yeah, basically, basically, um, you know, 12 tips for getting booted off. John yeah. Mark if I gave the list of what would delete you, I'd have to delete it because it would have all that stuff. In there. <laughs> That's right. That's fair. Well, John Mark, I really appreciate the time that you've given to uh, really to that initial group that was uh you know, that sort of generated this uh, this list here, this list of tips for a healthy and fruitful discussion. Appreciate the time that you've given us this afternoon. Is there any kind of closing uh, statement, anything you want to leave us with as we uh, wrap up this afternoon? Yeah, well, you know, when we're in personal presence, I hope that we all always have something conscious about us that we are representing Christ in our personal presence with other people. Mm -hmm. And that when people are looking at us, they they're, they're looking at who we are. And I think in our Facebook post, we need to be reflective of, of our God. We need to be imaging God in these moments, imaging Christ in these moments. 
And if we post something that reflects negatively on Jesus uh, or negatively on our, our, our faith commitment and who we say we are, we do so much damage. We do so much damage. We damage not only ourselves, we damage the community in which we're talking. We damage Christ. We and no telling how many people, because of their experience of Christians on Facebook, will not listen to Christ because his people have not modeled Christ before them. Yeah. We have a great responsibility when we're, we're putting something out there that the whole world can see. We'd be better, we ought to, that ought to be a moment of deep reflection before we put it out there. And, and what we're, why are we doing this? What are we doing it for? And what impact will it have? And what good could it accomplish? What evil could it accomplish? So we are representatives of Jesus. Let's act like it on Facebook. Amen. And Mark, thank you for your time, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it very much. Thank you for having me.